Today, we travel beyond the wind door. Hello, dear listeners, and welcome back to Beyond the Window, where we're not only going to be recording on something that is not New Century today, it's also not a movie, it's not a TV show. Toby and I, excuse me, Dr. Skeels Jungius and I are going to be discussing a video game, although it is also a video game that is part of a mythology and franchise that we are both very in love with. Today, we are discussing Marvel's Spider-Man 2. We have to talk. This is something else. I need your help. Are you sure this isn't something you can handle yourself? I'm sure. Miles, this is crazy! We call it a symbiote. And it chose you. Get it off of him! Ready for your annual physical? I'm the hero here, not you. What the hell's going on with Pete? You're not yourself. You want to join us? He's here. Walk down the whole building! I know I can snap him out of this! We can fight this together! Insomniac's Marvel's Sony's Spider-Man 2, thank you very much. Yeah, exactly. That's part of the problem right there, is that that's a complicated title for a game, because A, there's already a Spider-Man 2 that is also owned by Sony that is a movie. Never mind, there was also a video game that was a media tie-in to the Spider-Man 2 movie. And, like, oh, Marvel's Spider-Man 2... I'm sorry, was the Sony movie not Marvel's Spider-Man? Was that a different Spider-Man? Not Is a the comics Marvel? not Marvel's Spider-Man? <laughs> I mean, I guess... Not Marvel's Spider-Man, it's Marvel's Marvel's Spider-Man. I mean, I guess at the time, the Spider-Man movie franchise wasn't owned by Marvel, and I guess Insomniac can't make a Spider-Man game without Marvel's approval? Or is it Marvel's approval? Because technically it's... Made by Sony Entertainment. Well, it should be. It's not made by Sony. It's made by Insomniac, but it's produced by Sony Entertainment. This is for right us. Here, <laughs> the most boring part of this game to talk about. 
I think I've seen a hundred different titles that I prefer to this. Spiders to Men is like yeah. actually very good and yeah. in keeping with the tone of like the thing. Two Spiders, Two Men is also good. Honestly, I for the longest time have just been calling this Two Spider Men because yeah. that's kind of what it is about. It is a, a story that I think is quite unique in a lot of the broader spider-man mythos media all of the things where these last few years in some form or another there's been some really good spider-man stories Mm. out there this one is unique in that this allows us to see two spider-man coexisting in the same setting without multiverse shenanigans being at play because from my understanding and greg you have a lot more Uh, familiarity with the comics and the development and the emerging history of that than I do. But from what I understand in the initial debut of Miles Morales, he wasn't able to necessarily coexist with Peter. It was a case Mm of one out, one in, so to speak. And that's the unique position that this game allows us to be in, is what does it mean for a New York to have two Spider-Men in it. It's like two people who share the same name and don't differentiate between the two. Everyone calls Peter's Spider-Man, Spider-Man, and Miles's Spider-Man, Spider-Man. They call each other Spider-Man when they're dealing Hmm. with things together. They don't differentiate. That's actually a really good point. Uh, I'll get into where Miles and Peter line up in other media when we get to that part of it. But for the listeners, our plan for this recording, it will probably be divided up into like two episodes, like usual. Maybe more, depending on how long we go. I don't know. We have stuff planned. As always, we'll see how long it takes for us to express all of our various opinions in all their forms. And now that we know how long we recorded for, we're looking at three episodes between an hour and an hour and a half in length. This episode is completely spoiler-free, so if you have not played the game, you can listen to it without fear. We'll get into the meat of story and character arcs and where gameplay intersects with them in the latter two episodes. Um, We apologize if this is a bit bumpier, because as Greg pointed out, this is our first time engaging with the game mm -hmm. and something that is so freeform, and that means we're kind of searching new ground. We're feeling it out. I honestly wouldn't necessarily have thought to do a show on this, except that we'd already sort of primed the pot with Beyond the Window taking on non-New Century Media. We were both playing the game at the same time, and we both had very strong feelings about it. And due to just a circumstance of events where Alex is not likely to have the spare money to get a PlayStation 5, which is the only way he'd be able to play this. We're kind of stepping in here for School of Movies, or rather, School of Everything Else, so that the School of Movies fandom audience... Expanded universe. Yeah, can actually get a Spider-Man 2 podcast without Alex doing it himself. Maybe he eventually will, but for now, this is as much for him... (laughs) as for anybody else that would like to listen. Isn't that just like Alex, just sponging off of our creative output to create his own podcast? That's just how the dynamic has always been. (laughs) Ooh, 
Ooh, careful, careful. We don't want to bite the hand that feeds, Toby. Wait, wait, that was a bit too snappy and sharp of me, quite biting. Oh no, is this my black suit arc? <laughs> okay, mm. we're going to begin by talking about our history with this world franchise media as far as spider-man is concerned we're going to talk a little bit about the previous two games in the series and then we're going to talk about how the new game measures up against those after that we'll have an appropriate spoiler break and then we will start getting into story beats the various characters and their arcs in this game being able to talk about the game without needing to censor ourselves to start us off toby why don't you begin what is your background in Spider-Man? And is there a specific source outside of these games that is your preferred place for the story and the lore of Peter Parker slash Miles Morales? Okay, well, I'll keep mine relatively short because I don't know that I necessarily have an angle on the series that's that much different to most people. I think that I grew up and like Batman or Superman, he's that character who you don't really remember when you first hear about them. They just kind of have always been. They've always been around, and you almost think that you probably had a Spider-Man t-shirt or backpack at one point before you were old enough to form long-lasting memories. So I think that I would always soak in different things. I think the first bit of Spider-Man media I ever saw was this awful live action tv series from like the 70s or 80s <laughs> or something like that oh and so you saw the original one that's spider-man spider-man well no, no no not the animated no i'm specifically saying live action there was some oh, live action series yes yes yeah. i know the one you're talking about then yes definitely the least exciting intro and very 70s I remember thinking it was a bit creaky even at the time. I think my first real, oh, I'm clicking with what Spider-Man's about, is the uh, 90s TV series, the Spider-Blood, Spider-Blood, Radioactive Spider-Blood. Remind me, this is the one that has that clip that you showed me where he's like, Shocker! Get back here, Shocker! Okay. Shocker! You can't escape me! I'll chase you to the ends of the earth! <laughs> oh my goodness, chewing the scenery there. Okay, yeah. so that was your first experience. Would you say yeah. that's your 
favorite experience or i wouldn't say so i think that was a pretty good adaptation i think of not necessarily adaptation but i would say that the 90s tv show is a pretty thorough introduction and it's an educational course in spider-man because Mm. across the seasons it feels like it goes over everything. There was not really too many Spider-Man villains that I was unfamiliar with because I don't think I saw all of the show, but it was always on and always on a channel that I could check it out. It must have been reruns because I think I watched it across multiple years and I think it would have been later than it was actually broadcasting that I saw it. But it covers a lot of the stuff, including you know, Madam Web and mm. things like sort of interdimensional Spider-Verse stuff mm. before, you know, the wider world associated multiverse storytelling with Spider-Man. I was already mm-hmm. vaguely familiar with the fact that that was kind of a thing. There has always been a multiversal component to all of Marvel Comics as far back as I can remember. At first, it was just the alternative future storyline introduced in X-Men, that some know better as Days of Futures Past and Age of Apocalypse. Those timelines were in theory nullified Terminator 2 style, in that they changed the events that would cause those apocalyptic futures. There was also the famed What If comics, where writers posited what would happen if critical plot lines diverged from the canon story of 616. And of course, there were entire separate Marvel Comics imprints, like the Heroes Reborn Counter-Earth in the 90s, and the Ultimates universe in the 2000s. There was the alternative future of 2099, where Miguel O'Hara was Spider-Man, and the MC2 alternative future of Mayday Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Girl. But the concept of a dedicated Spider-Verse was a relatively recent invention. The crossover from 2014, everyone knows best as the story that invented Spider-Gwen a.k.a. Ghost Spider. And then the Sam Raimi Spider-Man films kind of became these perennial classics. As I mean, the first one came out in 2002, I think. That film, I was like seven or eight when that came out and I saw mm. it in cinemas. I ate that shit up. Of course mm-hmm. I did. And so Tobey Maguire was like my Spider-Man for the longest while. And... I still think that that is an adaptation that gets at the heart of a real, of a, God, it sounds so fucking gatekeeping to say there's a purity to that Spider-Man experience. There, there is none. It is like, that's the whole point that we've slowly accepted over the past recent years is that Spider-Man has been told and retold in so many ways and so many Peters that they each kind of are like, it is our modern mythology because you mm-hmm. have different people telling these stories and reiterating on them so that everyone is familiar with some, if not most, of the pieces of the character, the pieces of what makes Spider-Man Spider-Man. And that means that you see experimentations, things that will actually go off the beaten track that still keep the heart and soul of the character. And that's probably why he works as the subject of these metatextual deconstructions of almost storytelling itself with the Spider-Verse films, because it is a character that is baked into our cultural psychology, our cultural mm. perception of 
the things we tell ourselves in order to instill a code of conduct. It's mm. one of those mantras that is, I can't even find a word to think of it. It is a mantra that with great power comes great responsibility. And while people get hyperfixated on that having to be the wording, like it has to be rigid, mm. I love that we've actually encountered variations on it. Yeah. And there is a recent one that I think we will get into here that mm -hmm. is now my new favorite. Over time, I think I just engaged with different ones. And I think like everyone, I've enjoyed about a dozen different versions of Spider-Man at this point in different media. One game I enjoyed actually before the Insomniac games was Ultimate Spider-Man on the GameCube. Mm -hmm. I quite enjoyed that. And that was my I, I wasn't really familiar with the ultimate universe or the ultimate incarnations of the Spider-Man cast of characters, but that game did a pretty good job of kind of doing what this game is doing, because it sort of starts with Eddie Brock as Venom, and I think in the ultimate universe it goes with Eddie Brock being a childhood friend of Peter's rather mm -hmm. than someone who is just a new work colleague who gets a professional hatred of uh, all of this is to say I've gone on far more of a lengthy answer to this than I first intended but I think for me Spider-Man is what the character and the franchise has been for everyone which is that they are almost the face of a particular mode of storytelling that when you think of the superhero genre I think that people actually think of Spider-Man first before they think of Superman or even Batman, because Batman has almost become a genre in and of himself to many people, to such an extent that the heroics part of the idea has sort of left the general conversation, and it's more about him being vengeance and all of that, rather than us actually thinking about what does it mean to be a superhero and my favorite elements of these stories are the ones that look at the tension the web of connection between the face that helps the city and the person that has to keep the lights on that has to just go home and sort through the bills at the end of the day most difficult job ever it is it's the equivalent of us doing our uh, podcast here, and no one pays them to be Spider-Man. <laughs> no, that is one of the ongoing threads. Um, before I share my own personal experience, did you have any experience with Miles at all prior to either the Insomniac games or the Spider-Verse movies? I don't think I did. I think I was aware of him. I think by the time that Spider-Verse and Insomniac were around, I had kind of just been on the internet long enough that even if I hadn't engaged with media, people were talking about comics so freely that you would often hear about a character even before you actually saw anything or read anything with them mm -hmm. in it. I mean, I will say that a lot of my knowledge of the history of comics publication or just lore of the characters comes from movie bobs various big picture episodes that have looked at uh, that famous mantra of comics are weird well done he has educated me on that mm -hmm. uh, i will say before 
continuing on that I really like your deconstruction about superheroes as a mythology, because that is an idea that I've heard many times before. But thinking about it just now in terms of like the fact that mythology changes, stories change, old gods are replaced by new gods and all that kind of thing. But also hmm. what you were just saying about learning a code of ethics from Spider-Man, it suddenly occurs to me why I was never a religious person. I didn't need religion. I had Spider-Man. <laughs> it genuinely is like as good a life guide as any religious yeah. document, I would say. So you said that you can't remember when you first became aware of Spider-Man. Spider-Man comics, I'm going to say, were probably some of my earliest formative memories. Mm. Like, there was a time before where, you know, my father was reading to me Tintin books. And, like, that was, you know, my, my father teaching me to read, but also a shared experience and Tintin essentially being my first graphic novel. That meant that he was therefore responsible for instilling in me the idea of stories that involve pictures and words together. Like, I became a voracious reader as I got older. The first books that I can remember would have been Tintin books. Fast forward a couple of years, my mother would often leave me with some friends of hers to babysit while she was at work. And these particular friends, the husband was a comics fan. I don't know how old they were at the time, probably in their 30s. But I remember being at their house and discovering their collection of X-Men comics and Spider-Man comics. That was a way to keep me entertained. So they like, go ahead, go to, go ahead and read. Chris Claremont's X-Men and Peter David's Spider-Man, although there, there were probably multiple Spider-Man authors at the time. <laughs> they had at least two ongoing Spider titles were some of the first storylines, characters that I was hooked on. Uh, and this was, I want to say, early 80s at this point. I don't remember like what my first Spider-Man comic was, but when I go back and look at old Spider-Man comics and take in those old panels, we're talking about like 1982 is some of the earliest stuff out there. It took a while before I had money or even someone to buy me other Spider-Man comics. I think I inherited a bunch over time from that same family friend. And it was in the 90s when I started, like, oh, I have disposable income. And I would go down to the local drugstore because we did. I didn't have access to a local comic shop. And I would always pick up Spider-Man. Occasionally some other things, like there were some crossover events like the Evolutionary War or Atlantis attacks where I would pick up anything that had Spider-Man in it, but also some of the other stuff as well. And I was a big, therefore, comic Spider-Man fan well into the 90s. And we'll get into a little bit more about why I fell off. But I eventually did. I eventually, not that I didn't have the money, it's just like I was, I was focusing on other things. I was disappointed about the direction that the comics were going in. I eventually picked it back up, I want to say, in the mid-2000s because of two things. One, John Michael Straczynski was an author for one of the Spider-Man comics at the time. This is a 616 Spidey here. Comics, not movie. Blah, 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 blah. And I had become aware of him thanks to his creation of the sci-fi series Babylon 5. So finding out that he was writing these things, I started picking up whole bunches of 
not one issue comics, but like trade paperbacks. I would pick up old trade trade paperbacks of John Michael Straczynski's Spider-Man, and I was really into, oh, we've moved on a little bit here, and Spider-Man is now a teacher. That's my jam. And he did additional things where he brought the mythology part of Spider-Man front and center by saying, yes, okay, he was bitten by a spider that had radioactive whatever, but now he's suddenly dealing with like creatures that are mystical and want him because he is the spider totem. And I was like, that's a different idea. Okay, I'm with you on that. Let's explore that uh, situation out. That was one avenue, but the other avenue was the Ultimate Spider-Man comics. Not, I had never played any of the video game stuff. And point of fact, prior to Insomniac, I don't think I've ever played any Spider-Man video game ever. Whether they were good or not, I'd never played Spider-Man. Well, okay, Marvel versus Capcom. That had Spider-Man in it. That's the extent of my Spider-Man. Maximum Spider. Yes, that, that was good. I did mm -hmm. like that part. But yeah, Insomniac Spider-Man was my first Spider-Man video game, which is fascinating considering my love for the character. But, I will quickly say that on the subject of Spider-Man video games, an excellent series to check out if you want overviews or quick gameplay snippets of them is Matt McMuscles, who uh, does the, like, what happened yes, uh, videos. Know, yeah, yes. But he's done a series which is called The Mediocre Spider-Matt, which is just <laughs> a lovely name. It's changed format here and there, but... He's been pretty thorough at looking at the history of these games all over the place from the more recent, like late 2000s, early 2010s ones that were on the 360 and PS3 to the Game Boy to the Spider-Man 2 game that was favorite for many. Uh, mm -hmm. It's a good series for just checking it out. And today he's even uploaded a video which is him ranking all of the games, including the most recent stuff. As mentioned, here's where we start getting into trouble with naming conventions regarding the Spider-Man 2 game from 2004, developed by Treyarch and published by Activision, Fuck Bobby Kotick. Going forwards, we may just retitle this game Spider-Man Proving Ground, as suggested on the Discord. But back to the story of our Spider-Past. The reason why Ultimate Spider-Man was a breath of fresh air above and beyond what JMS was doing with the character and I think I started getting into this before JMS also. Again, I was picking up trade paperbacks. I wasn't picking up monthlies. Is because it was giving us new Spider-Man, young Spider-Man, from a modern aesthetic with like, and this wasn't the 60s and 70s anymore. I'd never actually read any of those comics. I only read like the 80s onward. It had modern sensibilities. It had a different flavor of Aunt May, who was younger and spicier and had an attitude, and I liked it. I really enjoyed the remixing of old stuff into new combinations. As you say, they did different things in order to introduce the Venom symbiote into Ultimate Spider-Man. But the really big thing was when the author of the Ultimate Spider-Man books, John Michael Bendis, what is it with these people with three names? I don't know. He decided, what happens if I kill off Peter Parker? And instead, introduce a young 13-year-old kid, biracial, black and Puerto Rican, have Peter's death be their Uncle Ben moment, and now they're taking over 
and they're the new Spider-Man. And like connecting with Aunt May and Mary Jane and Nick Fury and all these other side characters. What could potentially result? And what could potentially result was fucking amazing. Mm. So that was my beginning for Miles Morales, and I was completely sold. The Ultimate Universe, unfortunately, had its own issues that did not work out very well. Um, the reputation of the Ultimate Universe from someone who just isn't in the comics is that, on the whole, it was like, okay, this experiment kind of caved in on itself, but Spider-Man emerged pretty good. Like, yes. most people agree that the Ultimate Spider-Man series, that was some good shit. Yes, absolutely. Which is why I was very glad when the big event came around and Miles Morales was integrated into the 616 universe. Prior to this, there was a limited series called Spider-Man, where 616 Peter gets shunted into the Ultimate Universe, meets Ultimate Nick Fury and Miles Morales, and sees these different versions of Aunt May and... <clears throat> Fucking Gwen Stacy, young Gwen Stacy, still alive. And it's really this, like, difficult, heartbreaking, but also ultimately heartwarming story. This limited series was definitely repurposed for some key moments in Into the Spider-Verse. And I don't know if they've done enough with the interaction between Peter and Miles in the main universe, but whatever they've done there, I feel like they've probably done a better job with that first in the Spider-Verse movies, but then, as you say, specifically with this game where Spider-Man has been doing his thing for a while, is very experienced, all of a sudden, this kid that entered his life by a tragedy, he developed Spider-Powers too, and now, bam, suddenly he's Spider-Mentor. I, I, I go back and forth as to which is my favorite version of Miles. Insomniac Miles or Spider-Verse Miles, I think they're both two great tastes that go great together. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yes, fair enough. I will put it this way. I have a lot of fondness for a lot of different Peters, you know? Like, that's something that the Spider-Verse shows us, is that there are a lot of uh, characters who are still called Peter, but they all feel very different. Phrasing. I think my favorite one was always Spectacular Spider-Man, yeah. Peter. Great series, definitely can't recommend that one enough. And No Way Home does a very good job of showing three versions of telling the story of Peter Parker and making all three of them feel like their own people who have had to go through stuff. They can relate to one another, but there are differences to their experiences. As we've talked about with memory and castle of the moon if your memories and experiences are different that does make you a different person even mm. if the threads of the multiverse and of these storytellings are saying that this is the same spider-man it's like no these are people they're their own people and mm -hmm. so which is my favorite miles i like them both i hope that i get to see even more miles morales yeah. that i really like absolutely yeah. i'm going to be a little bit of a mm. I like the Tom Holland Spider-Man. I respect the MCU for doing something different with this Peter and this MJ, even if some of it was mandated for cynical capitalism reasons. And I think even with No Way Home, as far as Spider-Movies goes, I still prefer the Spider-Verse movies. I still prefer... Oh, duh. Yeah. <laughs> but 
I don't feel as strongly about the Raimi Spider-Man as other people do. Mm. And I don't know if it's Tobey Maguire's portrayal of the character, because I don't think it's more than that. I think it's the way it ends up framing. And I guess it feels like it was telling a version of the story that I had kind of grown out of a long time ago in mm. terms of, oh, Spider-Man's the butt of everybody. You know, oh, he's fate's bitch and everything bad happens to him. And like even when I was reading the comics, it still brought parts of that in, but it told more adult versions of that instead of, oh, Peter Parker's luck and everything like that. Yes, I know that some of that storytelling is a part of both Insomniac Spider-Man games, but it doesn't beat it into the ground like I felt the second Raimi movie did. So, yeah, I mm. unfortunately, the old Spider movies, while I was positive on them at the time, are less significant now in terms of later iterations of Spider-Man. And honestly, to a certain extent, I would say that the insomniac Peter Parker is probably my favorite Peter Parker now. He's very high up there. I think for me, it's a three-way tie between him, Spectacular Spider-Man Peter, and uh, Peter B. Parker in mm. the Spider-Verse movies. The one that is, we finally get to see a middle-aged Peter mm. Parker. Like, we talk about, you know, life being unfair and kicking Peter down. That is the character who is the extreme version of that, who nevertheless gets to be the biggest joker in the room. <laughs> and I think that's so quintessentially Peter Parker. Yeah. So... <laughs> Obviously, we're doing a show on Spiders to Men because both of us have played the two previous Insomniac games and we're very positive on them. Yep, love them. I, I don't have a lot of notes other than, again, because Insomniac Peter Parker is my favorite Peter Parker, that game sort of reawoke a love of that specific version of Spider-Man in me because mm. I really like the way that first game laid out a version of Peter's arc, how he came into conflict with Otto Octavius, how it incorporated characters that I had no idea of, such as Martin Lee and uh, the, the cop, Yuri, as well as, you know, regular mainstays, a different version of Norman Osborn, all that sort of thing. And then the way it integrated, okay, this is a different version of Mary Jane, we're going to bring Miles into the story right at the beginning of our story arc here. And on top of that, with all of the gameplay involved, it just worked really well for me. I didn't necessarily know where the game was going to go from there. Obviously, you know, oh, it's got a hit game. Let's have a sequel to it. But being informed that there was a interstitial game between the two, uh, Spider-Man Miles Morales. Look. I don't know if I'm ready to fly solo. You gotta take the oath. I promise to do everything in my power to protect this city. I promise. Whoa. Que guapo. Gracias, mami. Guys, I wanted to thank you, both of you. You need to lay low. Don't trust anybody, and don't take off that mask. This message is for Roxxon. The underground will stop it. They need you. 
Miles, what's the underground doing? They're after new form. Tinkerer, stop! Gotta say, I'm disappointed, but Krieger. You think you can beat the Tinkerer? Roxo, you can't. Every time I think I got this Spider-Man thing figured out, something goes wrong. Miles, our family doesn't give up. Whenever you say Spider-Man, you always mean the other one. You're Spider-Man. You can fix this. Your way. This is my time. I'm seizing the moment cause I gotta go for the time gone. It's scared of the dark cause I'm bringing the light with a nice glow. I shine on. I see it coming, I don't need a sign. This is the moment I'ma make it mine. This is my time. My time, my time now. My time, my time. I did not know that I needed a full-blown Miles Morales game, and it just it hit on all levels. Now, this came out after the Into the Spider-Verse movie, so it definitely was taking some fucking notes, and it did things that no other Spider-Man media would have done, which is, okay, guess what? We're going to have a theme song for Miles that has nothing to do with Spider-Man, because... Into the Spider-Verse had some banger-as-shit music. So when I saw that first trailer scored to Lecrae's It's My Time, mwah, I love it. I love that song so fucking much. And I'm worried that maybe Spider-Man 2 didn't do enough inclusionary like song music as opposed to background music. But there is at least one, and I'm going to share it at the end of one of our episodes here. My point is, is that Marvel Spider-Man Miles Morales, to give it the whole fucking title, <laughs> did a really good job of cementing why we need a Miles Morales Spider-Man going forward. That ending was amazing. The culmination of Miles' arc with his family and his community and his the friend that he left behind... It all just worked really well together. And then seeing that final shot where Miles is asking Peter, does it ever get any easier? And he's like, some things do and some things don't. And then they go off together, which is basically in some ways leading us directly onto the beginning of the next game. But just that shot of the two of them swinging and then posing in the air, it just makes me tear up. I love these games so much. Yes, it's music to the soul. For the record, the Miles Morales is my favourite of the bunch. I don't care if it feels repetitive of the first one. Maybe part of it is that that was the first one I actually played. I oh, I, I watched I a that. playthrough online of the original and thought that was a fantastic game. And I saw a lot of the gameplay and all of the things of it. So it felt like I had played it, mm. even though I hadn't, which meant that when I finally had a PlayStation and it was a PS5 and Miles Morales was on it, I was like, I'm not going to play that. I want to jump in with my boy, like Miles. I want to be there with him. So maybe there's a bias there. I genuinely think that it being a slightly smaller scale serves it brilliantly mm. because it is this sort of slice of time that Miles gets to come into his own it's so wonderfully expressive in the gameplay. You get to 
like the central story is great and unlike any other spider-man story period not just like a peter parker story or anything like that it's miles's and it draws in really good stuff i loved it and by the way uh dear listeners it's as much of a treat for me to be able to see greg just exuding this enthusiasm this energy for this these games and frankly i share it i Mm -hmm. i really do and i think that this is probably all the sort of build up of you know our notes before getting into this game so shall we talk about spiders to men before we get into that i just want to touch on one other thing i don't know if i like miles morales is my favorite i think I think Spider-Man 2 might beat it out in terms of the overall story, but I absolutely agree that the Miles Morales game is important, interconnected tissue. As much as I love the first game, there were a lot of people that had complaints on certain aspects of that game. Copaganda. (laughs) Yes, copaganda, but also just other portions of it besides that. And so it felt like we get to see... Miles Morales is being like, okay, we're taking some of your criticisms on board. Here's Miles doing a little bit of a different thing. This is part of our transitionary period. It was like, okay, do you like this? And when people said, yes, we like this, they'd be like, okay, that's the direction we're going to go in when we bring Peter back in and we are doing both of them for Spider-Man 2. So I think that that was a good choice to have that game for both the story reasons and for the... We've taken your criticism on board. Does this feel like a good direction? It does? Okay, great. I love it whenever you get a studio that decides to do a game that is, for lack of a better word, a free space game. And by that, I sort of mean, like, you know, either you have the engine already, so before we move on to the next console, shall we make the most out of this engine by doing one more game and I guess you can be a bit more experimental with it that's how you get Majora's Mask on the N64 because it was like one of the last N64 games and it was using a lot of the assets of Ocarina of Time and people are still fond of the themes and tone and all of that jazz and then you have uh, games that are you know say what you will about everything with uh, Atlas and Persona and yes Catherine that game existed because they needed to kind of experiment with HD console sort of engine technology Mm. before they went into Persona 5. So it's like, okay, let's do a game that will have the visual style that we want to have for the next Persona game, but like, let's not put on the pressure of doing our next numbered installment for it. And you come up with something really quite like inventive and creative With this, I don't know if that's necessarily the thing, but I think that, as you say, the connective tissue element means that they could use it as a sort of resetting exercise. And as a result, it allowed them to take stock and decide what did they want to do with the franchise moving forward? What Mm -hmm. could they do with the world that they were developing moving forward? And it hit a bullseye in every part. That's a superlative Don't worry, trust me, as this recording goes on, I'm going to have criticisms of various elements of some of these games, but I love that what the pause and intake of breath that Miles Morales, the game, ended up being, and what it has paved the way moving forward. All right. 
let's start talking about spiders to men. Mm-hmm. Keep in mind that this is still the spoiler-free area. Okay. Because I know that some of your notes, some of your thoughts and criticisms intrude on where gameplay intersects with story. Mm-hmm. So if you can, try to keep any commentary you have about the gameplay for this portion. Yeah. No, I, I'm treating this as the sort of spoiler-free general summary. And my general summary of this was, it's good. It's great, even. I think that it was refreshing to be able to play this with two protagonists, because it was the writers and the audience getting to actually see a narrative where we continued the threads that two previous games had set up, and it felt like meaningful progress was happening in two protagonists that we were heavily invested in at the same time. And it's rare to get a game that's like that, because what we have here is almost like this is a prestige TV series that Mm. doesn't actually come out with a season of television very often, and each game is a new season of television where it will not necessarily all be as focused and as narrowly like channeled as a film would be if this was this is not the MCU it is not taking the approach of it it's certainly drawing some notes from the more successful examples of it but it is allowing itself to breathe and take time in it and this game is where you start to feel that this is the true middle point of this arc that Mm. insomniac have had set up i think they definitely have an end point in mind there are details that come into it again we're not going to spoilers but they clearly have a final chapter that they are working towards but uh for this game you are not seeing these characters at the beginning of their journey to a certain extent you weren't even seeing that necessarily in the first insomniac spider-man because peter has been Spider-Man for coming on a decade at that point. And that's but, actually one of the intriguing parts of Spider-Man 2, is that now after the first game showed us an established Spider-Man who's already been doing this for a while, with the introduction of Harry Osborn, which was teased at all through the first game but never appeared, when mm-hmm. he suddenly re-enters Spider-Man's life, this includes a wave of nostalgia where Mm. we get a whole bunch of flashback sequences where Peter gets to like, oh, this is something that I was doing with Harry back in the day. Oh, this was the first time that I was delivering pictures to Jonah Jameson in order to get paid so that I could help out my poor Aunt May and everything. Love that that. mission. Uh, That that, that was brilliant. I never thought I'd enjoy riding a bike as much as I did in Spider-Man 2. Yeah, it's it's great. And again, we aren't zeroing in on specific story moments just yet. We're holding ourselves back with mm-hmm. what we're doing right now is the sort of Spider-Man at the train just going like, like just yeah. keeping the spoilers at bay. Um, as far as the gameplay is concerned, I feel like overall I enjoyed the gameplay in this game more than at least I did in the first game. Mm-hmm. There's so much stuff that is the same between the two games in terms of like jumping around the environment and, you know, Hmm. 
sitting up on top of like something high and secretly webbing people's like seeing how long you can stealth before you get into dynamic combat. Obviously there are different, there are some of the same gadgets, some of the same moves. And and then there's all of the new stuff involving new gadgets, new powers and or things that Peter invented for the both of them so that they could be better heroes and everything like that. But the reason why I almost prefer this game in terms of gameplay is that there were parts of the original game that felt like a chore to get through. Mm. Even after I got better at playing the game, when I was going for like, not 100% completion, but like when I was trying to like do all the bases and everything in order to get the upgrades and in order to get the story beat payoffs for having done so, there were some that were a slog that I had to like replay and replay and replay because I kept screwing up. But eventually when I was playing this game, I got into a kind of rhythm, especially when I got the right upgrades that helped me be better at playing the game the way I wanted to play the game. And there was huge amounts of the quote-unquote Spider-Man tech tree that I didn't unlock because it was just extra stuff. I didn't need all those extra moves. I got into a rhythm with the moves that I had and getting the right timings for cooldowns and building up the focus meter so that I could heal myself on those moments when I fucked up. Mm. I got really good at playing this game, and there was only a few moments where I had difficulty passing through a section. One of which being, of course, the one where you have to be really good at gliding around the environment. I sucked at that. Um, (laughs) And it was one of my least favorite parts of it. And I actually had to watch the culmination of that story arc elsewhere in order to find out what it revealed to me. Which is sad because I really liked that part of the story if only I could have locked it in the game. The gliding... As much as it was an intriguing traversal mechanic, as much as I enjoyed doing it in places, it was the one that I had the most difficulty with, especially when you're like going between gliding and web swinging, gliding and web swinging. There are times where like you switch from one to the other, and then all of a sudden, the game fucks up, and all now you're swinging in the opposite direction. You're like, no, 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 that's not what I or gliding in the opposite direction, <laughs> and you have to like, oh well, I'm glad that I was just trying to get from one place to the other and not chasing somebody because that would have been frustrating. I had an easier time with this game than I did with other games, and that's part of why I enjoyed this one more. Yes, and I think that it's to the game's credit that it keeps the momentum going. I think they knew that people probably found some of the bases a little repetitive in the past. I'm a bit of an outlier. I really enjoyed the bases and the combat uh, of the previous ones. And I liked being able to experiment between them and use the different abilities that you unlocked in unique and fun ways. And I thought they there was a fun chemistry to how it all interacted. And so I was glad that the game gave me plenty of opportunities to actually use those. That's not a common experience with that in the previous two games. That was just mine. So in this one where they paired back on that, I was like, oh, that's a bit of a shame. But also it's like a damned if you do, damned if you don't. I I was aware that that was more to my tastes and I am never going to criticize a game for respecting my time. Thank you, game. I appreciate it because there was no 
side mission stuff that felt like you were really going to have to slog through to get the story thing that you get from it. The only exception would be the spider bots where there's a lot of these little Mm. robot drones that are populating the city and they're giving off a weird funky vibe and each one is designed with different appearances and some look like familiar sort of alternate Spider-Men. Mm-hmm. Some are based on Spider-Man villains. Or mm. One that was a J. Jonah Jameson Spider-Bot. <laughs> and uh, as you can expect, that's the game's connection to Spider-Verse. And, uh, and then we won't reveal yeah. the connection to that. Yeah, no, we won't. How did you feel about the time trial stuff? Again, without revealing the plot, because I suck at anything involving you have to do it within a certain time. But mm. also from the first game, I think I was fine with the Taskmaster stuff. Because I actually found Taskmaster intriguing as a Spider-Man opponent. But anything involving Screwball, fuck Screwball. I cannot stand, so irritating. Yeah. stand Screwball as a character. But the framing for the challenge time trials in Spider-Man 2, this one I enjoyed a lot more. I think this one has the most satisfying narrative elements for it. Mm-hmm. I think that the fact that it's locked to Miles mm. is a bit of a shame because I would have liked to have seen how some of the mechanics of Peter's toolkit that he has to play with might have manifested in a time tra- trial format. Really, the time trials are fine. I think that my criticisms of them are more to do with my criticisms of just the gameplay in general, which is Mm -hmm. that there were certain time trials where a lot of them I didn't have too much trouble with. I was able to get gold after one or two attempts. And I don't mind it if it's a case of if I do a handful of of attempts to get my time a little bit better and then I get gold because that's the point of it. You want it to be like you're figuring out the technique for it. But there were a couple, there were the ones that were like, get a certain number of finishes in this time. And those were a bit of a nuisance because I was very clear from the way it was set up that it's like, oh, this is something that you can only do this once you've gotten this upgrade Mm. in the skill tree or this uh, gadget skill or this thing that I'll get later in the story. And that didn't really feel like it was a a test of your understanding of the game's mechanics. It was just kind of like an arbitrary block and saying, you can't do this until you've got like such and such. Mm. Now, to be fair, that is kind of a non-issue because that's only to get gold in some of them. And the story doesn't lock itself off. Like you can get bronze in all of the... Mm. Uh, time trials uh, stuff and you will get to see the end of that storyline no problem and there's plenty of opportunities to unlock the resources that you get from doing that in other places so it's hardly mandatory it's just Mm. that I like playing these games and I like to challenge myself with it so I will be critical of how the game manifests that. For my part the challenge where you have to complete the scenario without being hit was the most frustrating. Yes, no, that is definitely an important point. I have issues whenever I feel like the game or even a portion of the game is locked off by gameplay that I'm not good at, which is, again, why I was frustrated with the glide around and download the stuff from the robot birds 
especially since like I was invested in the payoff that was eventually revealed. It's intriguing how in some of these, the plot reveal ends up being a non-starter. Again, we'll save that for behind the cut. But in this particular case, I actually didn't mind that it was Miles they chose to have the time trials with because one of the ongoing threads of this game in general is how is it when Miles is interacting with a portion of Spider-Man's mythology that he doesn't have personal experience with or alternately that he develops his own relationship with because there are at least a couple of occasions where it seems like either people or enemies that are intrinsic to Peter Parker's Spider-Man have dealt with Miles at some point. They know that there aren't just two Spider-Men. Miles has fought them. And so some of his opinions are shaped by Peter's experiences, and some of them are shaped by his own experiences. I really like that dichotomy. No, that that is great. So my complaint was more from a just kind of purely mechanical point of I would have liked to try some of those challenges out with some of the things you get as the story advances with Peter. Yeah. If so. you're going to pick one, absolutely go with Miles because he needs even more stuff to do. And it's really fascinating to see how his interaction with the characters involved in that unfold. This is one of the unique parts of the game that comes with having two protagonists. Unlike in previous games, there's a lot of side content that is character-specific. In a lot of cases, it makes sense. Miles not only wouldn't have any connection to the side quest centered around the Emily May Foundation, but it requires badge access that only Peter has. Likewise, Miles' mask is coated with software that allows him to unlock the Prowler Cache collectible mission, and exploring Aaron's past is a distinctly Miles thing that Peter would have no connection with. There are also some purely story missions that are character-specific, but a few that can be undertaken by either character, complete with custom dialogue, showing the connection between the two previous Insomniac games. We'll get into specifics in these spoiler episodes, But in general, I like the vibe that comes with the game forcing you to swap between characters. Yes, sometimes the swap is narratively important, because the next part of the main plot has to be done by one specific character. But on top of that, if you hold off on doing the main story to explore side content, there are programmed events and interactions that only trigger if you're playing the character that doesn't have access to the next part of the main story mission. And that can be surprisingly compelling in places. I have a small comment to say about gliding. Mm. I actually took to it very easily. Mm. With an asterisk. Okay. I went into the settings and I switched the inversion of the flight controls. Oh, intriguing. Okay. And uh, that's, I recommend that to everyone because in, as the default things for it are, you know, if you pull down, you are basically pulling up. So Mm. it's that sort of in, it's kind of the inverted flight control things. And I imagine that they did tests and Insomniac deliberated on which one people took to, which one was more intuitive. And I'm sure that the data said that a lot of people took to the one that they default to. For me, 
inverting it was much better because mm. left and right, when you push left as you're gliding, spider van goes left. And if you push right, they go right. After I inverted the vertical thing, it meant that when I pushed the control stick up, Spider-Man would pull up so he would move up. And when I pulled it down, he would dive down, which made a whole lot more sense to me. And it meant that Spider-Man was going in the direction I felt like I was pushing him towards. Mm -hmm. So that's something I would recommend to anyone who is listening and is going to try this game out in the future or to just anyone who's still playing and to you on future playthroughs. I would appreciate the fact that the gliding comes in very handy as soon as they expand the map. Yes. Because that's one of the big changes between the first game and the second game is that it's all constrained to one area. And the second we're actually going across bridges and going into other parts of New York, like Queens, which has no tall buildings, you can still spider swing through parts of Queens, but it's more difficult because you're lower to the ground. But if you mm. can get some good height and glide in, it's easier to get to parts of Queens when mm. you get into that area of the map. And um, it feels great. It really <laughs> does. And I will note, when I was hanging out with Hannah Peregrine on the Discord while she was playing through it, she mentioned in that conversation that she found that the gliding was something she wasn't a fan of because mm. its introduction fundamentally changes the really unique manner of movement through mm. the overworld of these games. And I definitely get that. I think that that's also a factor of it. In the future, I don't think this is a mechanic that they're going to get rid of i think it would feel very strange to no longer be able to do that but i think there will be things that can perhaps make it a little bit more intuitive and also just new ways of doing little tricks and things with it in the same way that you know you hold circle while you're going around a building corner and you will just tether yourself to it or you'll do a swing that is anchoring around it if you're just swinging i think that the gliding will benefit from a few little tricks and spins that you can use with it do you have anything more that you want to get into for the non-spoiler section i think i will say uh, two things one which is my sort of concluding thoughts on the generic combat and stuff not like stuff that comes into play with the details of the narrative and for me i felt that the combat was less engaging and mm. it took me a while to kind of pin down why because as you say it's playing with a lot of the same tools that the previous games were and you also you know a lot of it is the same thing of just you know the arkham style you're punching you do a dodge when you see the red warning thing if they've got a shield you have to get behind them if you can get them in the air, you can shoot them with the webs, you've got all of that, and you can use the takedowns, and all of that still works. But something I realized a little later on is that I think that the way the abilities and the gadgets are set up, I think you actually have less choice now hmm. than you did before when you were playing with a single Spider-Man per game, 
and you could like slow down time to go to your radial gadget wheel or something and just sort of shoot out one of i don't know seven or eight different types of gadgets and there was just little things like uh, in Mars Morales, I remember there was a thing where you could like keep tapping the triangle button when you were sort of whirling people around or doing this sort of yo-yo thing with Miles. And it's hard for me to be specific because mm-hmm. it's been a while since I played that. But I did Google this just to see if I was being crazy. And I did find that there were other people who noted that there were certain things you could do in the other games that were absent in this and so you ask yourself, okay, what's in their place? Well, there are fun things. Like when you sort of use triangle and, and you hold it and you're going to pull someone to you, you can now do things like use the shoulder buttons to say, I want to yank them to the left or I want to yank them to the right. And that that allows for some fun manipulation of your environment. There's some good stuff with that. But I think that the way it felt to me was it was less of a free range of different ingredients that I could take a sampling of a pinch of this and throw it with that and see what comes out. And the four gadgets and the four abilities that you have access to at a time, like the gadgets never change, the abilities, you can choose what you have in those slots, but you only have access to four at a time and your whole other things like it gives you a good amount but at a certain point in the game it felt like i didn't have as much room for experimentation it felt like there was a cycle like a routine that i would go through it's like okay use this abilities just use all of these they're on cooldown let me use my gadgets Uh, my super meter is filled let me do that okay that recharges that let me do the takedowns the abilities are full again let me do that and i've restocked on the gadgets let me do it so it felt a bit more robotic at a certain point and maybe that's a failing of my creativity with it but something about the setup felt like there was less room for player expression through the different uh, unique idiosyncrasies of the combat mechanics. And that was a bit of a shame for me. I definitely want to get into why I didn't have an issue with that, but it involves the story. So I'm going Mm -hmm. to save those thoughts for behind the cut that we're actually going to put in here. I don't like playing games where they say you have to quote unquote, get good. I don't mind when like, okay, so there's a specific trick to having an easier time with these enemies or this boss and then figuring that out a little bit. But anything where the difficulty is too ramped up becomes a barrier, especially if I'm really enjoying the story. And now it's just being like, you're denying me story because I can't play the game the way you want the game played. Sure. I didn't mind this game or the previous game in the places where I felt powerful because that's the way playing a superhero is supposed to feel. And you're just able to like zip around the environment, hit that guy, hit this guy. You know, I, I don't like too much of a barrier to my enjoyment of a story that I'm really engaging with. Sure, All of I'm the- not saying yeah. that. For me, it's less a case of oh, it didn't challenge me enough or anything like that. No, 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 this is Spider-Man. You want to feel like the person, like the creature that is always, the enemies are your flies mm-hmm. and you are 
crafting the web around them. You are zipping from one point, getting that person ensnared, you go to somewhere else. That's the elegant dance of every combat encounter in this. But when you were talking about the experimentation, I don't really care about experimenting all that much. Like, to my mind... Well, good for you. I do. (laughs) No. Well, okay. Just in terms of my personal experience with the game, which Mm. I, I, I completely believe that your experience with it is valid, I didn't feel the same way about it because as much as I enjoy the combat, again, to a certain extent, the combat is like an extended sequence of, like, instead of just a contextual button prompt to continue the plot, it's a huge sequence of contextual button prompts in order to unlock the next bit of dialogue, the next bit of story, this fun quip or this fun character moment. And so therefore, the bigger problem that I have, it doesn't really matter to me what sequence I do things in or if it looks cool because the game is already working overtime to make everything look cool. Like, I, I can't talk about animation sequences the way, say, Dan Floyd did when he was specifically talking about how well they integrated the the, the swinging point. physics and zip mm. to point, all that stuff in the first game. But it looks great to me. It feels fun to play. So things that are specific to people that focus on gameplay above everything else, I won't necessarily notice myself unless... The gameplay is bad enough that it makes the experience less fun. Like, it actually be like, well, okay, now I don't even care about playing any further because you're making it so difficult for me to to unlock what comes next. I mean, from the way you're describing it, it sounds as if what you want is to forget about the sort of barrier of entry of, like, when you do things right, people won't be sure you've done anything at all. Yes. And the idea of you know, people only calling tech support when there's an issue. You want to be engaged in the experience and not having to worry about, oh, why am I having so much trouble with this enemy? Like, oh, this is really frustrating and take me, taking me out. Super valid and everything. I think for me, it's literally just a case of, it, these games are really quite splendid, both narratively and mechanically. I've given the controller to Sarah on occasion for her to just go around the overworld and swing through them and to have fights with people. And that is satisfying in and of itself for Sarah without like engaging with the story, though she was there for at least a few bits of it. So she has Mm -hmm. a sort of impression of the story of the game. But when the process of moving and hitting buttons is unlocking stuff for someone, that's when the mechanics are working well. Mm. And so my point is not necessarily, I couldn't necessarily have a sort of style meter like in a Devil May Cry game mm. or something. like I, I don't need it to be that. That's not what these games are. It's just a case of, I felt like I had a little bit more fun with the combat in the previous two. Just mm. a little bit. Okay. Having thought about Toby's words after the edit... I can see his point about self-expression being important to his experience, both in a game in general and a Spider-Man game in particular. I think it's more important to me in a game that doesn't have a narratively consistent character, like a Bioware game or a Bethesda game, where you decide what kind of character you want to be. We'll get into a greater discussion of things like the huge number of not only costumes, but also variant colorings of them in Spider-Man Proving Ground, 
And of course, if the combat and traversal unlocks in the character tree are your thing in any of the games, then you should have that option. And for those people that are very visually focused, or want to share their gaming experience with others, then being visually exciting to watch and not over-repetitive is absolutely a valid concern. Everyone should be able to play the game they want, which is why I'm a big fan of hardness modes and accessibility features. But I suppose I need to have a greater sympathy that just because someone else feels like a game didn't deliver on what they like best doesn't make that argument invalid. That's just as much gatekeeping as someone getting mad about not giving Dark Souls an easy mode. When I was playing this game, my first focus for all unlocks weren't like opening up new powers necessarily. They were upgrades for the original skill set. There were the, these are the upgrades that are going to make it less punishing when I fuck up. Sure. I mean, let's be real here. For me, when I got the resources I needed, it didn't go towards the gadgets and like the mechanics. I wanted to just get more suits for my ever-expanding Spidey wardrobe. Okay, so let's talk about that a little bit. Because we can get into it without spoiling things. We can, we can get into it without spoiling things with asterisk, with one exception. Yeah. <laughs> so what were your favorite costumes for the game? Okay, so one thing I'll say about this, and I don't think we necessarily brought it... I did go through the receipts, the email chains and everything from the Discord thread. One thing I don't think we shared is that in the previous games, there was a whole bunch of outfits you could unlock, and that was rad, and mm -hmm. it gave a high degree of customization. They've done that in that a lot of the outfits that you really enjoyed in the previous ones are in this one. Not all of them, but most of them, especially mm -hmm. the heavy hitters. And they've added new ones, things like how Miles has both his outfit in Into the Spider-Verse and his outfit in Across the Spider-Verse. Mm. But in addition to that, for I would say the majority of the outfits, or a good two-thirds of them, you can, for a few points more, a few more resources, unlock extra colours for mm. each of the various outfits and things like that. So you can get the, like... It's a good one. The I think a Civil War outfit for Peter, where it sort of has like army camo trousers and his sort mm. of red and blue top. But his alternate colours for that are like entirely green camo stuff or a bright pink and uh, bright blue colours because, hey, do you want to just have a good time swinging through the city in your hot pink outfit? <laughs> and I loved that. I thought it was so... That was really cool, especially because the gliding for that one has a different thing for it. It has these mechanical wings that come up for that one, which was neat. My favorite outfit in the game is there is a classic symbiote suit mm. that you can get for Peter, which is just the clean black and the clean, just sort of simple white thing. It, it's how it looks in the original, but there's colorations for it. And there's things like a purple version for it, which I think might be a bit more like the ultimate Spider-Man symbiote suit was a little bit more purple than hard black. And then there was one color where it's the black suit, but it has these color outlines. And I mentioned earlier that I grew up with the 90s cartoon and what they did with Venom in that 
was they had this unique silhouette to him where it would be red and blue along the sort of edges of his silhouette but it would just be kind of meet in the middle and it would just be like depending on how he was it would always sort of be whatever position he was at at the camera it was like the outlines to a cell shading except that instead of hard black it was red and blue and it didn't fade in from one to the other there was like a firm thick sort of divide where it suddenly went from red to blue and it created this really nice like oily effect to it why am i going on about this because you can get that in the game and it's a reference to that 90s show and i Mm. loved it and for a good portion of the middle part of the game i was wearing that as peter and i loved it (laughs) i have complicated feelings about the high degree of the different costumes and the high degree of customization i don't think Mm. it was bad I feel more strongly about customizing my look in other kinds of games. Uh-huh. It feels weirder in a Spider-Man game, particularly when the outfit has narrative weight. Sure. Like there, there was less of that in the first Spider-Man game, although the first Spider-Man game does have a significant point where like he's swinging around in the original regular red and blue duds. And then at a certain point, as his relationship with Otto develops, we get the signature suit, the one that you're wearing right now, specifically with the white spider. And I love those notes in that game, which would be like, you should have the spider in white because that's higher degree of contrast. I was like, that's brilliant. I love it. Like there's an Mm. actual reason for why the suit is the way it is. Yeah. And then on top of that, in the Miles Morales game, the whole procedure of like, for the first part of it, he's just wearing a mask and then like a downy winter jacket because it's fucking winter. Uh, mm-hmm. And he doesn't even have his own suit yet. And then Peter gives him his own suit, but it's kind of like weird and ill-fitting. It makes him feel like carbon copy Spider-Man, but not as cool looking. And so therefore the development of his suit in that game feels important. That signals a narrative part of the game where he's starting to come into his own. For sure. and, and so therefore, customizing the look after that, it feels a little bit weird in places, although to be perfectly honest, in the Miles Morales game, I also really liked, A, being able to make Miles look like the Into the Spider-Verse version of him, complete with mm-hmm. like the sound effects with punching and everything, but yeah. also like the different kind the of animation. Rate. But, yeah. and I'm so mad that I didn't get it until I completed the main story, I loved the Bodega Cat costume. Yes, which is something you can unlock in this one, and you don't have to get to the end. Yeah, from Go. It doesn't have the cat animations for the takedowns and everything. Oh, it doesn't. That's a dis... Okay, yes. Yeah. I I don't think I realized that at the time. That's disappointing that I didn't include him in the takedown animation, because that was absolutely part of my favorite part of Miles Morales. But that's also the disappointing thing about Spiders to Men. Once I was able to just like go around with Miles in the Bodega Cat costume, I kind of got tired very quickly of the repeating cat animation of (laughs) Spider-Man the cat constantly popping his out of the backpack in the back and pawing at the air. When I was like sitting there at one point on a rooftop and listening to some radio thing play out where I think where Miles was talking to Aaron or something, the cat just kept going on and doing the same animation as I was listening to that. And I went... 
that animation is very repetitive. And I, I, I switched off from there. That's also part of the difficulty I had with costumes in Spider-Man 2 is that now, at least as far as Peter is concerned, it feels weird once he gets the symbiote. I don't think that's a spoiler. It's it's in the trailer. It, the it's symbiote in, is here. Yeah, it's in, it, it, in the first proper gameplay reveal like the first thing we saw was peter in the black suit so like that's been a major selling point for the longest while so once he has the symbiote the idea of him wearing anything else in the meantime feels weird the suits have far more narrative weight than even they did in the previous two games that said there are some really good suits in this game and some of them come specifically from completion of side missions which, again, we'll talk a little bit more about once we get the, past the spoiler break. The Nick Cage Spider-Noir is in this, so Peter mm. actually gets his own Spider-Verse thing, and it has the choppy frame rate. In fact, I think the choppy frame rate of the of the Spider-Verse, you can apply that to any of the outfits. There's a setting that uh, you can do yes, that. Yeah. I mean, I don't know why you would want to, but it's there if you do. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, and that one's great. It looks fantastic, and... I did get a version of the game because I was just like, you know what? I love twiddling around with the outfits. I'm going to get the version that has a bunch of the extra suits and things like that. So there's a sort of Sun Wukong stone monkey outfit or something for Peter, where it's like a Journey to the West inspired (laughs) Spider-Man outfit. Yeah, that's great. Uh, Miles has this tokusatsu one that is like he looks like a power ranger but it has like these neon lighting to it so if it's at night it cuts a really nice silhouette and there's a i think called a red specter outfit for miles which has his sort of hair coming out from a hood and that one looks really good i think my favorites like Mm -hmm. it i have a certain fondness for the scarlet spider variants of the outfits uh, and and we'll talk about my experience with that much later in our podcast. I really liked two specifically for Miles. One is the one at the completion of the Brooklyn Visions quest line. Oh yeah. And the second one is actually at the end of the. Okay, I won't spoil it, but when you complete another quest line specifically for Miles. There's this one where he's got like this fedora on and a vest. Oh, that's so good. Yeah, that, so I, I love that. Like, it's basically, I want to say, it's the spider jazz outfit. And yeah. it's just. You like jazz? <laughs> how is that hat staying on? How, how does it ever stay on? How does it stay on for Spider Noir? I mean, I think I'm sure it falls off at one point, but he like. I mean, like, as soon as you have this thing where he generate the wind goes with him and everything, you know you're dealing with like your own set of physics. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I think we've gotten as far as we can without spoilers. I thought we actually would wrap this up a lot sooner. We've gone a long way. <laughs> well, okay. So, well, there was a bit. There was a large amount of lead-in that we did. Yeah. To be honest, but do you want to give a, a brief commentary on how much you enjoyed the story in comparison to previous games without spoilers or do you just want to get into i'll do a quick one i think that this game still tells a really good story that has some of the highest emotional peaks of the series i think that 
when we were all excited for oh we're getting a story where we can switch between miles and peter and i think everyone including the developers was really excited about that prospect and for the most part i think they pull it off well but i think that there are moments where the game feels a certain strain in trying to execute certain premises things with the symbiote suit and complications that arise from having to tell that story in an interactive medium and other things like how do you connect the two storylines in a way that makes it satisfying that when they have to at one point thread together into some sort of conclusion there's certain casualties that come from that because they do a lot to make the themes feel parallel to one another but there's just certain practicalities that feel as if one character lacks as much connection to what's going on Mm. so i think that's the overall thing i can say about this it's a great continuation and i if i was to sort of rank the different spider-man experiences that have come out since now you know the dlc to the first one is i think at the bottom it was like a pleasant enough experience to fill the time and the first game i think sets up things very well i think i would put this on an equal level to the spider-man one it does some things better it does some things less focused so narratively it's not a step back in any means these are just some of the things that come out of them doing their best with i think on reflection was a quite tricky premise to Mm. completely execute then in brief my opinion and obviously once we get behind the jump we'll be able to go into more details about all Mm -hmm. of this is that i've kind of seesawed back and forth on which of these games i like the most part of me wants to go a little bit along your route and say that miles morales is my favorite game if only because it is the most ambitious story-wise in terms of telling a Spider-Man story that is not Peter Parker at all and where it chooses to go with that and how it chooses to explore Miles' experience of being Spider-Man without Peter to fall back on. Mm -hmm. Um, And, of course, I love the original game, um, again, because it reawoke my love of Peter Parker as a character for that Mm -hmm. whole thing. But there are a couple different ways in which this game takes what comes before and building on that. That is kind of what I really love about serial storytelling, about telling a story that has the foundation of other good stories behind it, building upon that. Plus what I felt was more than a little bit of meta-narrative baked into how Spider-Man 2 played out that was just entirely my jam that put this game just slightly above Miles Morales. And, and like the, the ranking is so difficult here. that They're so close to being excellent games in and of themselves that it's like a, a fraction of a difference one way or the other. But it, it, it is splitting hairs, isn't it? Because really, they're all adding to one another. It is yeah. all one big story that uh, it has become improved with this latest entry. Not unlike New Century, some stories stand fine on their own, but it is stronger as the sum of its parts. 
But I will say then that speaking from a place of secure love, when I first heard from one of the School of Movies Discord people, the way this game is going to end, that's what got me to buy it in the first place. And after I was done with this game, even with its flaws, and it does have flaws, I feel like this is exactly what I needed from a follow-up to these two previous games. Mm-hmm. This was this was so much my jam that by the end of it, I felt drained, but it was a good kind of drained. It was the kind of drained I feel after reading a really good New Century book. No, how funny, how funny that. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it for now. Next time, we'll get into the meat of the game with full spoilers. The good, the mediocre, and the stuff that made me sob buckets. To close us out, the full track from the Miles Morales game that you heard in the trailer. Until next time, this is Miles' time. Here we go, got my position, let's hit the road. Came along, now my people here with me, I'm in my zone. Been around a block a time or two, I tell you where to go, I tell you how to move. I got longitude and latitudes, keep it moving, that's my Just in it, felt like I was born for this minute. This is my time. I'm seizing the moment, cause I gotta go for the time's gone. Ain't scared of the dark, cause I'm bringing the light with a nice long. I shine on, see it coming, I don't need a sign. This the moment, I'ma make it mine. This is my sign. I'ma make it mine, this is my time